Hello, America, and welcome to a special Saturday edition of John Solomon Reports. I know I never do Saturday, and now I'm doing a Saturday. I did a Friday, a Thursday. Why? Because we're a few days before the election, and I thought we'd share some final thoughts. And the reason I I did the Saturday edition is I've been getting a lot of tweets and uh, text messages and emails and even people calling me saying, what's this talk about the black vote breaking for Donald Trump? Is it true? Is it not true? Uh, There's one poll that says it's not going to be any more than the 8% Trump got last time. There's another poll, Rasmussen reports, I think that has it at 25 or 30%. Big differences in the prediction on uh, what black vote will look like for Donald Trump on election day. And so I reached out to somebody that's on the front lines of whipping up the vote in the African-American community for uh, Donald Trump. His name is Daryl Scott. He's a pastor uh, and uh, community leader in uh, Cleveland Heights, uh, Ohio. And he's been with Trump since 2015. He was one of the first big black ministers in in community, African-American community leaders to come out for Trump in 2015 and 16. And he's going to talk about what it looks like on the ground two or three days before election day. Fascinating information. You know, there are rappers coming out for Donald Trump. Uh, There are Hollywood figures coming out for Donald Trump. Uh, Jack Nicholas, not exactly an African-American member, but golfer coming out. A lot of different endorsements and movements and energy. And he's got his finger on what's really going on in the African-American community. What what things have Trump and Biden said, how they've played, what the uh, criminal justice reform has done, what the economy means in the African-American community as people go to vote. And I thought rather than me opine about it, I'd, I'd bring someone in who really knows what's going on, is connected, talking, whipping up the vote on the ground. Uh, he'll tell you what he's hearing about Biden, what he's hearing about Trump, what the issues are that are moving, how this whole uh, rapper endorsement thing, cancel culture is playing in the African-American community. Uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's go right to the extraordinary one and only Pastor Daryl Scott. But before we do that, let's have a quick message from our great advertisers and sponsors. And when we come back, Daryl Scott on the ground, on the front lines of the election, here to tell you what's going on in the African-American voting community before election day. We'll be right back. Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break on this very special Saturday edition. If we're going to have a special Saturday edition, you got to have a special guest. And we have that guest, Dr. Daryl Scott, Pastor Scott, uh, someone who's been on the front lines for the Trump campaign for a long time, uh, a co-founder of the New Spirit Revival Center in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, right in one of those battleground states. 
Dr. Scott, welcome for uh, welcome uh, to us today. Good to have you yeah, on the God show. God bless you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's an honor to have you. And uh, I tell you, for the last week, I've had so many people pinging me on Twitter, on email, on Facebook, and they want to know what's really going on in the front lines in these battleground states. You're out there. What are you seeing right now in the final days of the election? Well, I think the president has picked up a head of steam and he has a lot of momentum heading into Tuesday. You know, it's like he went into the hospital on a Friday. He came out, what, on a Saturday and came out like gangbusters. And ever since then, he's been on a roll. He's enthusiastic. His base is enthusiastic. The crowds are enthusiastic. He has a lot of energy and his energy is contagious. He's feeding off of the crowds. The crowds are feeding off of him. But not only that, his message is uh, resonating. And, you know, with that final debate where he completely annihilated Joe Biden, he not only annihilated him, he uncovered him and exposed him and caused him to admit uh, a number of the plans and policies that he has that will be detrimental to American society. And so I think he's been he's been doing his job. I mean, he's leaving it all on the table and he's uh, he's doing his job. And so to be quite honest, we're in better shape now than we were in 2016 at this same time. Wow. You feel good about that, right? And you, you see it on the ground. So, you know, right, you're right on the front lines. Oh, yes. And you know what? I'm doing a lot of informal polling on my own. Right. Uh, one of my polling methods is when I ride down certain streets to count the number of uh, yard signs uh-huh. <laughs> for Biden or Trump. And he's winning in that respect. And I mean, to be honest, John, even in the grocery store, you know, I've asked people in line and it's been white people that I've been asking. Yeah. And they seem kind of um, hesitant to answer at first when I say, can I ask you a personal question who you voted for? Because right. with me being black, they're assuming that I'm going for Biden. And so they're kind of hesitant. And then when I say, well, I'm going for Trump. Then they come out the closet. Oh, yes, I'm going for Trump, too. I'm going Isn't for that Trump interesting? Too. One person, one lady said, I, I'm still undecided. I said, for real? She said, yes. And then I began to give her a Trump spiel. But she <laughs> said, I was undecided, but I, I think I'm leaning in your direction. And so. Um, How interesting. Wow. We had an event in Chicago recently and where we had about eight or nine hundred inner city black. I'm talking about street guys and former street guys, uh-huh. and the crowd was overwhelmingly Trump. They asked me, man, can you get us about 500 red Make America Great hats, and we'll put them all on. No and, kidding. Yeah, the In Chicago, blue Chicago. Is, yeah. Yeah, the black community is wow. responding for Trump in a way that's going to make 2016 look like nothing. You know, I've, I've been watching your Twitter feed for a long time, and I, I always learn something when I, when I follow you, and I one of uh, I've been trying to explain to people, and I don't do a good job of it. But when you you say what you know, what's made the black community, the African American community, connect to Donald Trump? I mean, I, the first answer is I guess prison reform. That's a big deal. I get it. Prison and judicial reform, justice reform. But what are some of the other issues that maybe the mainstream media don't pick up on? But when you're you're in the community, what, what are the things that connect people to Donald Trump in in ways that we are not measuring, perhaps? Well, the one thing that connects everybody, and it's economics. Um, you know, uh, contrary to popular belief, black people want the same thing that white money, white people want. Yeah. And that's money. <laughs> yeah, sure. So if you can't eat, you can't do, you can't buy great, things, you can't live. Yeah. Economics is the great, you know, uh, decision maker. Yeah. And the economics are, you know, the fact of low black uh, unemployment, 
the fact of higher income tax refunds and lower taxes paid, these things resonate. Now, in 2016, we were selling a dream while the Democratic Party was selling a nightmare. You know, we sold (laughs) optimism. Elect Trump and watch what he does. And the Democratic Party was saying the same thing, watch what he does. But they were painting a scenario of, you know, if Donald Trump gets elected, the black community is done. You're finished. You're going back in chains. You're getting shipped back to Africa. You're going to be swinging from trees. You're going to get lynched. White, hooded, and robed uh, 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 supremacists are going to be riding down the streets. And it's been anything else but that. You look up, not only was it criminal justice reform and prison reform, you have historic low levels of unemployment. You had uh, uh, HBCU funding on a historic unprecedented level, opportunity zones, urban revitalization, the platinum plan. But notice this, all of these initiatives did not come at election time. They weren't just proposals. They were actual uh, initiatives that were throughout the course of his in the four years, right? made it a point to have proactive measures regarding the black community. We haven't seen that out of any administration in my lifetime, that every six months or so there's something new, specific, and germane to the black community. That's unprecedented. Yeah. You know, I, I had this experience about four or five months ago. I think I might have mentioned it to you when you came and visited us here at Just the News. But um, I was filling up my gas tank uh, coming back from Connecticut. Uh, I think it was in New Jersey, northern New Jersey. I was running along gas, pulled into one of the stations, and, and this African-American woman pulled up to me. She must have recognized me from TV, and she started talking to me, and you said, are you John Solomon? Yes, and you never know what's going to happen at a gas pump talking to someone. You don't know where their, their, their subject matter is going to be. But she said, I want to tell you something that you, you haven't hit on, but I'm telling you as a journalist, you've got to look into this. There's a sentiment in the African-American community that every four years, uh, the Democratic Party has the perfect line for us. But when you boil it down, it's the best you can do is welfare, the minimum wage, and, uh, you know, be God with that. And Donald Trump doesn't want to talk about welfare, doesn't want to talk about minimum wage. He wants to talk about giving us wealth. And you got to, you got to measure that somehow, Mr. Solomon. You kept, you kept, there's a sentiment in the African community that it's way better to have a, a, an upward rung on the ladder than some uh, welfare check in that. Is that some, is that sentiment there that maybe the Democrats have just had the same line for African Americans for 40 years and there's something better than welfare and, and uh, minimum wage? Oh, absolutely. And you know what? What you just said was absolutely correct. You know, uh, me being a pastor, I've been pastoring my church for 26 years. And over the years, the Democratic um, candidates for office would all want to come to the church. And we would see them then and they would smile and wave to the audience, even sing to the audience. And then we wouldn't see them again for two to four more years. Um, I had initiated a policy in my church, I was like, listen, I'm not letting them get up because they would come and try to get up before I preach, say they'll stick and leave. I said, make them stay through to the end of the message. (laughs) And then after that, we would have our offering at the end of the message. And I would just watch to see, I would see if they're going to put at least $1 in the collection plate. And when they wouldn't, I wouldn't let them get up. And you know what? The word got out on me. They stopped coming around. I said, because I'm not going to allow you to come pimp my congregation out for votes every two to four years. And then we don't see you again. And don't hear from you again. And that's been the common refrain throughout the black community that, you know, it's it's something that everyone has to acknowledge. The Democratic politicians have done absolutely nothing. If we're complaining about the condition of the black community, we have to attribute it to Democratic leadership. And when Donald Trump said in 2016, what do you have to lose? He said that in response to the outcry of the black community 
about the condition that the black community was in. And he was saying, listen, you've had a black president for the last eight years and we're still complaining about the condition of our community. Then heck, if, if, if it's this bad, it can't get any worse under me. Give wow. me a shot. What do you have to lose? Yeah. That, Give me a shot. And be, look what he's Just done. take a stab, right? To, to see what happens. Maybe something good will happen. It, it, I, it I was really get any worse. <laughs> yeah, I was really taken aback by it, and it shows you know I just wasn't connected to the the thinking until this this woman just came up to me. She was so kind. I was almost uh, uh, humbled by just you know her wanting to get in and say just just do some reporting. Trust me, there, there's this sentiment that no one is picking up on that we're just taken for granted, and we, yeah. we don't we don't want a uh, welfare check. We want to rung up the ladder. I want my grandchildren to be way more successful than I am. And she she was so passionate, and um, I. I I really was taken aback by that. You, you've got a tweet out this week that caught my attention. I was laughing about it because it uh, it really gets to the the heart of uh, hypocrisy in politics. And and um, you, you there's this tweet that you you talk about. Uh, everybody in the black community said the rappers were the real measure of the street until they started coming out for Trump. Now they're now they're being uh, disowned. Uh, talk a little bit about the hypocrisy that that you're seeing and that the voters you're talking to are seeing in the, in this election. When someone comes out for Trump, they're disowned. When before they had all the street cred in the world. Thank you. Thank you. Let me touch back on one point sure. real, real quick. Please. And that's when you said about the young lady with the welfare. Yeah. Welfare was never intended to be generational. Right. And you have third and fourth generation welfare recipients in the black community. It was never intended to be generational. It was simply to be temporary right. assistance. But the Democratic Party has made it generational to the extent that it's almost a rite of passage. Like I know some houses just like, OK, you're 18 now. You have to go down and get on. Go get welfare. your welfare check, right? Oh. And it was never intended to be like that. Now, speaking to the rappers, I find that amusing that prior to Donald Trump's candidacy, he was an icon in the hip hop uh, world. He was a uh, he was he was an icon. I mean, actually, he was featured on over twenty rap albums. No as, kidding. As, oh yeah, I as didn't a, know as that. A, yeah, uh, you know, you know what? He's the one that told me that. <laughs> Back <laughs> he knows. I know he knows his brand you know, well. <laughs> I'm on twenty rap albums, so he knew how many rap albums. Isn't that funny? Was on. <laughs> and he was an icon, and you know, it was all about. If you look at Donald Trump, you know, it's those that embrace the the the, the culture of of hip hop. Mm -hmm can't help but to embrace Donald Trump because he ba he almost, you know, for them to be talking that white supremacy crap, Donald Trump acts like a black dude. <laughs> <laughs> Think about this, John. Now listen, yeah. if you look at the presentation of the hip-hop rappers, right. the swag, yep. the bravado, yep. they don't take any crap. They shoot right. from the hip. They're talking. They got the bling. They got the money. They got this or that. Right. If you look at Donald Trump, he shoots from the hip. He doesn't take any crap. Yep. He's got the swag. He's got the bravado. Mm -hmm. If you clap at him, he's going to clap back at you. Yeah. They, 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 they identify with that. They can relate to that. And a number of them know for his uh, pre-candidacy life, that he's not a racist. And so they they don't want to ignore the obvious. If they are genuinely keeping it real, they'll have to say, you know what, when I weigh both these candidates in the balance, look at Biden and his track record with the black community. Look at Donald Trump. Donald Trump now has a track record right. that dates back to 26, 2017. And it's a track record of positive initiatives. And so now... Everybody that lifted up these guys as, as cultural icons, these rappers, we got Lil Wayne that just came right, out yeah. and others. Now, all of a sudden, the, the, all of the, the uh, all of the cultural impact and the, the 
the realness that they had is nothing now simply because they want to uh, vote for Donald Trump? Uh-uh. 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 And you always have those same voices. Yeah. They try to influence the masses and say, no, listen, look at him. Now he's a sellout. Now right. he's, you can't call everybody a sellout. Yeah. I, I remember back in the 80s when Pat Riley coached the New York Knicks. Right. Right. And he had uh, his coaching terminology then was just keep fouling. Right. Keep fouling. Keep right. fouling. Because they can't foul all of us out. Right. <laughs> and so keep coming up. They can't call everybody. Everybody can't be a coon. Everybody right. can't be a sellout. Everybody can't be an Uncle Tom because they made a business decision. Ice Cube made a business decision. 50 Cent made a business decision to support Donald Trump. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. It, it, it's remarkable. The other thing I learned um, a few years ago, I uh, uh, I got invited to to a documentary that was being shot about some of the the big epic rappers and the people who were street performers in, in the era street. And what what drove their artistry in some way? And I didn't I didn't fully appreciate that. I grew up in a you know lower middle class uh, family. My dad was a cop, and and I you know uh, I grew up outside of Bridgeport, and I saw you know Bridgeport, Connecticut's a town that's had a lot of frustration and economic demise for many years under Democrats. But when I was watching this um, uh, documentary be shot for a day, I was on scene for just a day. Uh, I learned something that I found was really interesting, that really what drove a lot of the artistry was the anger and frustration that every 10 years, the same outcome was going to be for, for people who lived on the streets of Bridgeport, Connecticut. This is where it was shot. And that, that some of the anger that you heard really wasn't hatred for cops. It was hatred and anger at the, just the chronic inability to change the dynamic on the, on, on the streets of Bridgeport and in the inner city. And I think that Donald Trump shares some of that anger when he gets mad and he, he takes on the the um, uh, the bureaucracy or the uh, the hypocrisy. Uh, that anger is authentic for the people who've lived in the communities for a long time. Is there do people in the inner city, do people in the African-American community who've been trapped in a cycle of failed schools, uh, welfare, no economic opportunity? Are they feeling a measurable distance than they have for you? Could they really answer the question? I'm better off than I was four years ago. Absolutely. You know, I met Donald Trump in 2011. And right. He said something back then that he reiterated to me in 2015. In 2011, he told me, I believe unemployment, underemployment, distressed living conditions and poor schooling is the reason for the disparities that exist in the black community. He said it again in 2015 when we wow. talked about him running. He said unemployment, underemployment, depressed living conditions and, and poor schooling contribute to the disparities that the black community experiences. Now, having said that, I will say this as well. Most of the crime in the black community is financially related. Right. People sell dope for what? For money. money. People yeah. rob somebody for money. They burglarize for money, for material things. It's because of the financial inequities that the black community experiences uh, is the is the root cause for a lot of crime. And so when Donald Trump is elevating the overall economic condition of the black community, the black community right now is enthused about the platinum plan. Right. It will tell somebody I, I, there is another way. I don't have to sell drugs to eat. I don't have to rob. I don't have to take a look. The, the, you know, the, un, the jobs are plentiful. Good paying jobs are plentiful. Yeah. I don't have to be on welfare. Good paying jobs are plentiful right now in this Trump administration. It's undeniable, and it will contribute to a reduction 
in crime. I mean, if this COVID virus hadn't come along, we were going to enter into an unprecedented age economically in America for all of the people uh, of America, every every community, yeah, that's, every that, ethnic group. Participation is real. It isn't just one group of people that are they're doing it. When um, uh, I've seen a lot of polls, right? And there are polls that say he's just going to get the same 8% of African-American vote. There's a poll that says 25% of the African vote, African-American vote. When you look right now and, and with your finger on the pulse and all the work you're doing to get out the vote and just to talk to people, where do you think Donald Trump ends up in, in the uh, percentage of African-American voters who, who get behind him this election? Let me begin by saying this. Yep. The 8% is solid. Yep. We have not lost any of the base. Okay. I don't know of any black people, public or private, that have said, I voted for Trump in 2016 and he let us down. Right. And so now, so that's solid. So right. we have nowhere to go from there but up. up. And reasonably, uh, I, I, if I'm going to be going to be very, very conservative about the estimate, right. uh, my conservative estimate is that we'll at least double it. Wow, that's so that's a big that, that's a big number. 16%. Yeah, it, it, yeah, listen, if it's fifteen if or sixteen percent, it's over for Joe Biden, right? Optimistically, I think we can triple it. Wow, so you really believe that the uh, the Rasmussen reports poll may have some merit to? It. I mean, a lot of people, pollsters, have scoffed at it, saying no way. Uh, but you 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 really feel confident in that? Listen, John, you've been in this a lot longer yeah. than me. What did Rasmussen say in 2016? Yeah, no, that, you're right. He was Rasmussen in 2016 was a voice crying in the yeah. wilderness. Yeah, they were. Yeah, and you got <laughs> Trafalgar too. That really shows an uptick. And I mean, listen, even if it's three percent growth, if he goes from eight to eleven, the Democratic Party's in big trouble because that's a that, that's a, not a a number they can overcome, uh, particularly with the enthusiasm gap. Uh, with Biden voters. Biden voters aren't enthused. The only reason they're voting is they don't like Trump, right? And so uh, if it's a 3%, it's historic. If it's 15%, you're going up, doubling, that's, you know, it's game over, right? The Republican Party is going out of its way to try to bring up some old uh, racist talking points. But the bottom line is this. In the last four years of a Donald Trump administration, and even before that, he he was never racist, but they can't point to anything and say, look, see, Right here. You see what he did? Yeah. Not something they edited him into saying. Right. Not them them splicing and cutting yep. tapes of, of him uh, with, with, with Charlottesville and all that nonsense. They can't point to anything and say, see what he's done. Look at this policy he enacted. Look at this initiative he endorsed. Look what it does to the black community. Look how it's harmed the black community. They can't do that. Yeah. Every single policy initiative he's uh, has supported has been for the black community's betterment not for the black community's detriment. It's, um, it's so all fat. they can do is try to manipulate audio tapes and, and cut and splice videos to try to make him say something that he didn't say. Right. Yeah, well, the, the great thing about the American voter, they're so much smarter than the media manipulators give them credit for being. It's one of my favorite things that I see time and again. And um, uh, when you when you look out in the next four years, whether it's a President Joe Biden or President Donald Trump, and I know your confidence is going to be President Donald Trump, what are the most important uh, policy initiatives that need to happen, not only for African-Americans, but for all Americans? Do you have your favorite policy uh, uh, recipes that you think are the next opportunities for, for the American dream? Well, um, once again, this platinum plan that he produced for uh, minority communities, right. I, I'm very much in yeah. support of that. Champion so it's going right? to take yeah. him getting elected, re-elected for that to happen. But I also... I'm in favor of school choice. Yeah. 
And to be quite honest, the black community is in favor of school choice. And one of the main reasons the black community is in favor of school choice is because of sports opportunities. And I said this at the White House because a a number, and I know a number of people in our community, the only way their child can go to college is on an athletic scholarship. Right. And I know some people, and I know this for a fact, because I know people that have actually moved out of their neighborhood into other neighborhoods so their child can have an opportunity because if he went to this school, he might be on the bench. But if he goes to that school in that neighborhood, he'll be a starter. Right. And he can gain an athletic scholarship if he goes there. But over here, he won't be a notice because, you know, everybody in this particular goes to the school. It's yeah. too much competition against him. Right. So that is one of the, and I told this at the White House, that is a, 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 a huge reason wow. why people support, black. the black community supports school choice is because it can provide a better opportunity for uh continued education in our community. It's remarkable. And this is a sentiment you never hear talked about in the media. And I'm so glad you brought it up, but you're right. The the elitists in the media are so far removed from the families that actually make these decisions and live these lives and are deciding uh, what it is. And uh, I remember back, I was in Milwaukee. I was a young reporter at the AP and we had the whitest Wisconsin guy you could have as governor, Tommy Thompson. And he partnered up with an African-American Democrat um, uh, politician in the city of Milwaukee named Polly Williams. And they made the first real school choice experiments in Wisconsin. And, and I got sent out, I was maybe 22, 23 at the time. And I got sent out to go to um, 43rd Street in uh, Milwaukee, which is, you know, historically African-American uh, community. It's a very proud community, uh, old homes, well-kept yards, uh, churches every couple blocks. And I went up and down and, you know, the, the assignment was, does anyone really think that school choice is going to work? And I could not believe the response of what went on in that uh, on that yeah. those interviews that day, people were like, "You don't understand. This is a game changer. I might go to a Catholic school. I might go to the tech school, but my my children have a choice that they've never had for twenty five years." And the enthusiasm was off the chart. And I came back. I told my editors at the time, "Wow, I, I had no idea." But I'm telling you, on the street, this is really popular. Do you, do you think that that resilience is back again for school choice? That there there's going to be a school choice movement like we saw in the late eighties. Well, you know, if you leave it up to this administration, it will, because it's something that the president leans very heavily towards. It's something he's been talking about, once again, since 2011 with me, that school choice should be on the table. Um, uh, And I know even now we had a discussion at the White House a couple of months ago regarding school choice, Uh, a private meeting that I was in with a few people uh, there. And school choice is definitely something that this administration is in favor of. And I know, once again, the black community is overwhelmingly in favor of it. I mean, to be honest, like I said, I know a lot of black. My my grandson grew up playing in the AAU, so I was a part of that culture. Wow. And we see all the parents. And there are people, you know, a lot of the people there are not homeowners. Right. And so it's easy for them to say, hey, listen, my son goes to, to, to North High School, but it's a lot of competition. But if I move him, if I move and take him over to South High School, you know, he'll get an opportunity that he doesn't get at North High School. And right. I know guys that did that, and they moved, and they moved across town, took their kid there, and then I see him years later. Oh, my son is going to a D one school or a D two college, or right. my son got into college now, and and it's is is you know, and and it's the just pride is unbelievable. Yeah, and, oh. and, and there's a huge, 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 and that's for football, basketball. That's a huge. There's a huge culture 
of, uh, in, uh, for the black community regarding sports, amateur sports, and our yeah. kids in sports. And a lot of us see that as a ticket. I know a guy. His mother told him. He played with my grandson. She said, listen. You know, and he never knew his father. Right. She said to him, she said, listen, your only way off these streets is if you get an athletic scholarship. And he wound up being a two-sport athlete, football and basketball, and he got scholarship offers as well. He was a good student as well, but he got those scholarship offers. And, you know, uh, I know another guy who's now living in Arizona, and I knew him when he was in high school. And, you know, he wound up in college because of sports. And right. Now he's uh, he went to school. He majored. He's he's working in the field that he majored in in college. And he said, "Man, I had to get off them streets because if he didn't go, he would become a casualty of the streets." Isn't that amazing? I mean, the possibility yeah. exists that he would become a casualty of the sure. streets. Sure. So yeah. President Trump understands the man on the street. You know, he's always said he's not the prototypical billionaire. He's not Thurston Howell the third. Right. Yes. No, that he's not. Yes. Yes. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, a lot of people I've talked to, and sometimes I've joked with the president about this myself, but you know, he's kind of the blue collar billionaire. He talks like a blue collar or a rapper who, yeah. but who just happens that made the money. He's got the dough to back it up. And um, it's, it's pretty remarkable. I'm going to put you on the spot with the last question here. And, and okay. there, maybe there's a small percentage of people who haven't made up their mind. And I want you to tell Joe Biden and Donald Trump, what's the most important thing you can tell those final undecided voters in the next couple of days? I mean, Joe, Joe Biden, uh, uh, you know, he's got, he's making, trying to make an inroad in the black community. What, what, what can Joe Biden say first? Is there anything he, he can do to close out more black votes? Is there anything that he's done that you think is resonating right now? You know what? I'm going to make a statement. Yep that I think both of them can say. Okay. If you don't believe me for the words that I speak, then believe in me for the works that I've done. done. Yeah. And Joe Biden's negative works regarding the black community speak as loud as Donald Trump's positive works towards the black community. Wow. We can just look at what Joe has done over the years. Yeah. And we can see that he's not the one that at least my my community should vote for. Career wow. politician, 47 years. He's not part of the solution. He's part of the problem, I, a big part of the problem. I, I thought that the fact he had apologized for the crime bill during the debate was such a poignant moment. And, you know, it probably passes over a lot of the media heads because they're used to the politics of things. But if you have a record and you're spending your final debate apologizing for it, it's never a good thing. And I think people in the mainstream media probably miss that moment. But I think that moment of having to apologize for that, acknowledging he got some things wrong on China, um, are are probably things that resonate in everyday Americans. If you're running on your record and you got to apologize for it, why are you running? And yeah. um, that, that may be a moment that uh, in the final days will, will resonate. But you know what, John? He's the type of person that if he did get elected, he'd retract those apologies. Yeah. Right yeah. now, he's doing the typical politician uh, behavior. St uh, say anything. Do anything to get elected. Yeah. He'll get elected, and a week later, I'm not I know I apologize, but I'm not apologizing. We needed to do it. Wow. You know, he's doing whatever he can do. You, you see the whole fracking thing. Yeah, no, that that was a big a big blow in Pennsylvania, particularly because um, he, and now he's you know he's been trying to bob and weave on it. But people don't like bobbers and weavers. They'll give you. They may disagree with your policy, but respect you more because you at least are own up to it. And uh, Joe Biden's had a lot of bob and weave moments. You know, the Supreme Court stacking the court, um, uh, the crime bill, and uh, fracking. 
I think that probably hurts him among the authenticity uh, measure. Don't you think so? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's a career politician. Yeah. And you can, you can listen to him speak and you can look into his eyes. And I'm not saying this. I'm just saying it matter of fact. You can tell he's not all there. Yeah, a lot of people have raised and, that and question. And the bottom line is this. Listen, John, I'm not all there compared to the meal too. 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, listen, we all change, yeah. I can acknowledge that myself. The 30-year-old me was a lot sharper and quicker than the 60-year-old me, and that <laughs> it is what it is. And Joe, obviously, you know, there's some decline there. Yeah. And no. it's it's an undeniable decline. Now, the only person I can't see a decline in is Trump. <laughs> Now he's got in the last few days. You can see an energy. You know, he obviously was sick for a while, but you just see an energy that is there. And he, I mean, it looks like he's having fun on the trail. I mean, that's it, uh, win or lose. If you can have fun in your final days of the campaign trail, it just makes you free. And I, I, you can see he's just very comfortable in what he's doing at this moment. And I suppose that these rallies, five, six a day that he's doing, probably are moving the vote in ways that we we can't measure until election day. Yeah, he's putting in the work, definitely. There's no doubt about it. And you do too, sir. Uh, I want to thank you for the time and helping us make sense of all these issues. And we're going to have you back, I hope, right after the election so you can explain what really happened because I suspect Tuesday is going to be a cataclysmic moment. I do too. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate it. And I consider it an honor and a privilege to be uh, here. Same here, hosting you and having you on. It's a, a great blessing. Have a great weekend in the final God few days bless. of the election. You too, sir. All right, folks, we're going to wrap up this special Saturday edition. That was worth it. I'm so glad we did a Saturday edition for the very first time in the history of John Solomon Reports. What a what a great honor to have Daryl Scott here as the first guest on our Saturday edition. You have a blessed week and enjoy your family. Remember to vote on Tuesday. We're going to be back on Monday with a whole new set of editions with John Solomon Reports. God bless you and have a great weekend.